Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. .edu/podcast Do it a little faster. Yeah. <laughs> you still got it. <laughs> it's your girl Shanti and it's Antoinette and we are around, around the way, way curls. Join us as we share our unique life experiences, aka tell all our business and explore both the profound and the profane because duality, duality is, is a thing. Yizzo. Hey girl, hey. Hi, how are you? How is everything? Oh, you know, I'm thriving. Oh, and you're not jiving. I love that for you. <laughs> well, <laughs> girl. Um, <laughs> I <clears throat> just want to shout out. The artist way, and I not listen. If Antoinette is holding, let there be flesh. Was this? <laughs> yeah. Oh God! I did not even. <laughs> I don't know why that was Yo, so funny. It's so what you. Is that wonderful. What's it called, girl? girl what's this it, here, what's this here flesh. This okay. here flesh. <laughs> Let there oh. be flesh. Yes, girl. Yes. Let there be blood. <laughs> I've abandoned my child. Oh, God. I've abandoned my boy. <laughs> That's my favorite scene I from a movie. I love it. He killed that. Um... <laughs> Uh, My book is The Artist's Way, and I want to shout out to Julia Cameron, the the author of that, this wise gnome of a white woman. You used to and call her a gnome? Yeah. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> she is. If you see her, she's a little gnomey. She used to be married to um, Martin Scorsese. It was she. Interesting. Yep. Interesting pairing. Martin like a little freak joint on the low. Because she, he like a little spiritual freak joint on the low. <laughs> anyway, um, I've returned to my morning pages and they are very, very painful and hard. And I'm going to stick to it because 
things are unraveling. And shout out to everyone that is also doing their morning pages. <clears throat> I went into a cafe yesterday and I saw a woman with the artist way open on her table. And I was like, shout out to you, girl. And she was like, yeah. And we like cheered each other on. Oh. Um, today something happened that was unexpected and really heart opening as well. I dropped Jolie off and I got a call from my mom who lives very close to her school. And she was like, I need you to come over. And I was like, all right. <clears throat> I was like, oh shit. So I drive <laughs> over and she has 50 handwritten papers strewn about on the couch. And she's like, I have all your letters that your father wrote me. Oh and my gosh. They are an archive, a documentation of their love story and what they endured mm. and markers of all of the shit that went down between them. And um, there's, she, she was like, I just want you to hear this. And there was a point in our life where I was, it was just me my dad and my older sister, Jaya. So it was my dad as a single father with two kids. And he was stay we were staying at my grandma's house. <clears throat> I wish I, if I, I wish I had the paper with me, but I don't, but he's writing to my mom and he's describing me. Mm. And he's, he's saying, he says words like, um, I can't remember what he said. I'll find this, but something along the lines of like her, her confidence is is dazzling or he's just speaking so highly of me as a five-year-old and mm. it's not of like oh she's a good girl she you know it's deeply like seeing she's a, he's me. observing you beholding he's observing you. me he's invested in it he's like if if you don't stay on top of her she'll try and control the room she's powerful he's like saying these beautiful things and it's really it broke my heart in some ways because i think i have over the years developed this narrative of my dad of like not seeing me mm. and not being invested in a way and to get a glimpse and just like his mind and his heart was like it was just it, it just was really really lovely Did as you talk well to him as about it? no not not yet okay um and also he there's his poetry in it and um my father was a brilliant writer and not just like like brilliant mm. like his work could have been published and there was a part of me that was like oh he squandered his gift you know he because he wasn't invested in sharing it with everybody a part of me was wanted to downplay but my dad would write like religiously he has books and books and books of his writing and he also was like the first person that I saw do collage art oh, so wow. he has so many pieces from the National Geographic was his favorite book and he has all these gorgeous gorgeous collage pieces and like for the first time in in looking at reading the artist's way I was like oh my dad is was and is an artist and because he wasn't trying to sell it 
or even share it. You know, somehow I've like thought he squandered it, but he was really committed in a way. And because he's a Virgo and he can't do anything without it being like obsessive, he showed up for his practice. Mm. And it just, I just have so much respect for it. And I'm so excited and so grateful that I have this archive yeah. of his work because it's like, Treme- like it's tremendous. I'm just like, me and my mom were reading a poem. We were like, yo, that nigga ain't right there. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We looked up at each other. And my mom was like, did he write this? I was like, no, he couldn't have written this. But then I, I did I did call him and I was like, you know this poem? Da, da, da. He was like, oh, yeah, you know. you know." My dad's also really humble and dismissive and guarded. So he was like, yeah, you know, that was <laughs> Yeah, but you know, who else gonna write it? Yeah, I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's, it was a crazy day, but I feel, I feel a deep respect for them both. My parents are nuts, hmm. but also have endured and have tried some really strange and weird things and like, that's courageous. The short time, yeah, really courageous, really just set the, it helps me understand myself more <clears throat> and um, and I feel indebted to them in a way and also like a lot more compassion because mm. they were tripping. <laughs> they, they were tripping. I, this so. unlocks something in you. This opens up a new portal to understanding. Yeah. The, and, and I, and I think, um, I've never, I never knew your dad was a writer. An artist. An a tr- artist. And like a, a visual artist too. He has just, and I'm, I'm really lucky. I have an archive of all of it. And I maybe someday I can share it, but he's, and I'll like brilliant. Not, brilliant. Not like, oh, that was cute. That was good. It was like, again, we were like, it is a gay right this. <laughs> Not Greg. Uh-uh. <laughs> That's it. That's it? You have another mm-hmm. one. Yes, okay. okay. I lost weight, girl. I I did. I don't own a scale. I had a scale. I threw it away because I was doing Noom and I was getting on the scale every day as a practice. And I was like, "This actually isn't. This actually isn't the right approach for me because Mm. I think too much about my weight throughout the day. I don't need to do this thing. Yeah, and it's not about weight." But I only realized that I did was because I put on a dress that I purchased and I really liked the structure of the dress. And I could not, the dress is a snap dress. All the curvy girls know you put us in a snap dress or snap shirt, anything could happen, baby. One wrong (laughs) laugh, one uh, exposed, vulnerable. Well, also for me, the way I ignore this gluten issue I have, one one <laughs> bit of bout of gas, and you out here, you out here. <laughs> it's like all you hear is tap, 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 tap. And so I was out here a little bit. I was. It was a couple of wrong turns I made, but I got in it in a way that I hadn't before, and I said, oh, well, there it is, and kept it pushing. And I... Didn't celebrate it. I didn't think anything. I just was like, oh, now you can hopefully wear this dress soon and and wear it where you are moving more freely. And I left it there. Go, girl. So it was very interesting. Yay! 
Another interesting thing. Uh-oh. <laughs> is I talked about this on the podcast that I had hurt a friend of mine. Um, and just uh, did I, I sent them a text that was meant for you. Mm-hmm. And I I don't I never felt like I gave um the apology that was owed. Like I rationalized it and explained it immediately in the moment. Um and then just kind of left it at that and kind of faded away to like hide due to shame. And so something in me, it's been bothering me of like, that was cowardly, Antoinette. And also you need to understand what it feels like. Cause I, this is this people pleaser thing in me where I'm like, I can't have anybody out there that's angry with me. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't be a bad person. That's, that's mm-hmm. not good. Like you have to fix it. And I resisted that of you got to fix it. I was fairly certain that I that this person was not going to want anything else to do with me, but I wanted to own it. I wanted to own the mistake and observe what it feels like to sit in that discomfort of that call of the accountability. Mm-hmm. And I did just that. I was right about I think about they felt and their approach um and how they will deal with me moving forward um but i didn't beat myself up about it i i mm. i hate that this is the result i truly do um but i think it's a step for me and accountability and hopefully with time they can see that i really just wanted to honor the relationship and honor what I felt like they actually deserved from me, which was that accountability mm. and not the cowardly shying away and just fade to black, which I now I'll do, you know, like I'll, I'll. But still, yeah, no, that's really important. So, yeah. you know, I'm learning how to be accountable without being ashamed and tearing myself down mm-hmm. about things. And that's weird. I'm I'm observing it <laughs> right now, but I, have done what I can. I, 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 and, and that's it. So I'm offering that to other folks of like, and, and it was weird to try to figure out how to do it without making it about me. Like I mm-hmm. really didn't want to be like, I have to do this thing so I can feel better about myself. Mm-hmm. I don't feel better about myself. I really mm-hmm. don't. <laughs> I, I just feel like I'm more accountable. And it's sitting with it, sitting yeah. with it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I should have offered that to them, but I'm still learning and fumbling along. So I, I don't know, but I think so. Okay. Well, there it is. Yeah. I Yeah. So this is new. You can hear it in my voice. It's like, <clears throat> you know, you were talking about the last, <laughs> the last episode you breathe in yeah. shallow. It's like, <clears throat> so, um, yeah, mm. I, I, I wish them, I wish them well, um, that's it. Those are my updates. Quick updates this this time around. We got a long episode ahead. We got a long episode ahead, kids. Do you think that we should do the voicemails? Considering we that keep... this is going to be a two-hour... All right. So I'll do one voicemail. I'll do one voicemail because it'll bring us into our main conversation. Let's... We'll do the voicemail. Then we'll take a break. And everyone, we will have the audio from our live talk with... Our good friend, Mr. Friend of the Podcast as well, um, Mr. Joel Leon, 
where we are having this talk at Babel Loft. We are confident that all of the technology will cooperate. <laughs> but this, after the voicemail, you will hear us in conversation discussing liberation in troubled times, navigating personal liberation while acknowledging and holding space for a tumultuous, in a tumultuous world. Um, but first, here's a voicemail that, you know, it's a voicemail. That's all I'm going to say, oh. child. You'll see. Hey, this is Deshaun from Ohio. I wanted to leave. <laughs> I wasn't gonna do this no more, but anyway, I'm doing it. I want to leave a personal message for uh, Antoinette. Um, number one, um, that uh, Scott Ritter, the uh, former UN uh, weapons inspector, he actually was blacklisted from because uh, he went against the Bush regime or whatever. So I know I, I said that name like, oh, it'd be real hard to get him. Actually, it won't because he's been blacklisted. So I mean, he. He's he's on all type of like podcasts, so I mean, you would be able to get him. You know, he's not some A rank person or whatever, so I think you'll be able to get him. But the main reason why I was calling was I got a question for you. Oh yeah, I want to <laughs> know if a person is an independent like myself, and it's possible. I say it's it's possible that I might vote for Trump. Would would you not date a person because they vote for Trump? Because I'm actually trying to wife you. <laughs> I, ain't, I ain't playing. I'm dead serious. <laughs> I got my court date for my divorce <laughs> in about three weeks. So uh, this summer, I'm trying to fly you out, girl. Fly you out to Ohio. But I really want to know: Am I going to be discriminated against? Is a per- would you would you not date a person just because they don't vote for Biden? How dare you? No, nah, I'm, I'm just messing with you. No, but serious though, I'm like, what what is that about? I mean, you you sound like you know you, you that tight. You know, you, you die hard level. So I I, I don't know. But I think it's a good question worth asking. So she, I would like you, to know. You already, so already, if, uh, you already said this. Maybe that'd be a good topic or something. Can you can you date people that's? I mean, I'm an independent. I don't discriminate. You know, I used to be a you know liberal or whatever, but I don't I don't discriminate. No. So who people vote for is a business. As long as I get treated with respect and, and, and love, and you know, working together as a, as a unit to get things accomplished, that's all I care about. I don't care about what you vote for, but mm-hmm, you seem to be on the intense side. So, but anyway, hopefully you will be able to get Scott Ritter on or whatever. But all right, all right. Anyway, have a good day. Peace and love. Love, love, love. First of all, take a deep breath. First of all. Take a deep breath. <laughs> this is something that we've covered. We did. We discussed We definitely this. discussed we this. So, about this. The um, but thank you for your suggestion. Um, Mr. Deshaun from Ohio calls quite frequently and leaves a lot of voice messages that I listen to. Unfortunately, they're, they're like 15 to 20 minutes that we can't play on the podcast. But this was one where... 
we could play it. And I think it's an important conversation. It's funny because it's like, oh, I'm trying to wife you. Ha ha. Get it. Um, we discussed this and my answer was no, I would not date somebody that voted for Trump. And it is not because I am a staunch liberal. I do not just vote down the ticket Democrat. Like I actually pride myself on doing some research and being an informed voter. So that feels a little bit dismissive of me. Also, you're antagonizing me, which that's fine too. Ha ha ha. But no, Trump specifically, I think this is this is what I'm getting at when I say I'm worried about 2024. I understand that Biden is not perfect. Biden is not the candidate that I want either. Um, I understand that Biden is deeply harmful geopolitically, especially right now. Get all of that. We've, we've discussed that at length. Trump is especially triggering for me when we talk about the Central Park Five, when we talk about his business dealings, when we talk, when he's found liable for sexual assault and continues to tear down the woman who he was found liable of assaulting, um, when he refers to immigrants as rapists and animals, um, and and he believes there's good people on both sides. There's so many issues that I have with Trump specifically. And again, I, I will say there is not one thing, and, and Deshaun from Ohio did say in his, in a previous voice message that, you know, when Trump was in office, we had peace. We had, we had more peace around the world. There was no Ukraine and Russia. There was no issue. Um, there was no issue in the Middle East that's just factually inaccurate because this this conflict and genocide and oppression of Palestinian people has been going on for years. Um, but no, Trump did definitely cozy up to the powers that be that are just as harmful as him. And honestly, just as harmful. I'm not saying Biden isn't harmful. But what I'm saying with all of that, I, I'll just leave a James Baldwin quote here. And we can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist. Mm. That is how I feel about Trump. This has nothing to do with Democrats. This has nothing to do with the party system and my frustration with what feels like is a two-party system. I'm very aware that independence exists. Um, but I think there is a there is a level of seriousness that I want to approach this conversation and highlight that I hear this more and more in our community. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying how I personally feel. It terrifies me that, um, that we, I, I, that we, that we are, I think willing to overlook so much about Trump. And I think that the, the Palestinian people will not be better off with Trump in office I don't think black and brown people in this country will be better off with Trump in office. Mm. I don't think the migrants coming here looking for freedom will be better off. I don't think the conflict between China and Taiwan will be something that he's able to navigate better. 
there again is not one thing that I think Trump will navigate with better integrity and and um, solutions than Biden. There's mm. just not one thing. Mm-hmm. So I understand the frustration with Biden, but I don't think in the Republican Party, the damage that we are feeling still is a direct result of that party. I mean, we just read off the last episode what's happening in Florida. I, that is not to say that the power that white men wield globally is not harmful. So it's a very complicated question, but it's one that it is very serious. And I want our listeners to be informed, make whatever decision they make, but make an informed one, not one that's just Biden's not shit. I throw my hands up or I had more money when Trump was in office. Trump was cutting us checks. Trump wasn't cutting you checks. Congress was cutting you checks for, you know, the pandemic. Trump's actually trying to take your money. And so is the Republican Party when it comes to pensions and medic, like all kinds of things. So Social Security. So that's it. Not to be somber, but I'm good on getting flewed out to Ohio. Thank you so much for the offer. Um, and thank you for calling and engaging the way that you do. You, Deshaun, push a lot of, you you push back on a lot of the things that we talk about on here. And it's not that I don't play your voicemails because I don't re- respect what you're saying or want to platform what you're saying. It's literally because they're just too long to play. Um, I don't know. That's it. Do you have anything? Mm-mm. I do not. All right, kids. With that said, we're going to take a break. And we're going to get into it with maybe something that will give us some um, some ideas on how to navigate this very conflicting, confusing, frustrating, and scary time that we're in. You trying to sing? You trying to serenade us? After these messages. We'll be right back. Is that somber? Boo. I didn't go to church. My that was good, were, though. Was it? Yeah, I like. it. Was it, it giving vibes? It was good. Like, you did that off the dome. I'm very proud. proud, proud. VR training platforms, like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International, are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Shanti. I'm Shanti Mayers. I am co-creator of the podcast Around the Week Curls with my best friend, Antoinette Henry, who I have the pleasure and privilege to do life work with, ask questions, learn about myself and her, and do incredible work like this um, amongst incredible people like yourself. So shout out to um, y'all for being here on this cold night. And we are very excited to be in conversation with Joelle. And I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Oh, I got to do that. 
I'm like, I'm like, oh wow, this is great. Um, hi, for for those who don't know, I'm I'm Joel Leon, uh, Bronx native, uh, storyteller, uh, girl dad, um, overall uh, human being. I'm excited to be Incredible sharing space. Incredible human being. <laughs> excited to be sharing space with beautiful black people, especially these two beautiful black human women persons. So, yeah. See. See, he knows all the words, y'all. So we've been to, we've been to have fun. Um, but I, it would be remiss. I would be remiss if we did not mention the fact that Joel has an amazing project on the way. Yeah. He has the first one, right? Yes. Yeah, this is, this yeah, is his yeah, his. Yeah. He has babies. I do. But this <laughs> is another one of his. This is his art baby, and he has an incredible project. His first book is coming out in June. <laughs> This human being wrote a whole book, child. <laughs> and do you want to, are you allowed to say the name? Yeah. Like, all yeah. right, well, come on, big yourself <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, um, Everything and Nothing at Once, um, a black man's reimagined soundtrack for the future, um, drops June 4th um, <laughs> through Holt McMillan. So pre-orders are available if you want to go grab that. 16 essays um, exploring the range of uh, blackness through the lens of a black sachet man growing up in America. So, yeah. Congratulations. All right. So I'm someone who I need to orient myself for talks. I'm very type A. And so I just want to invite everyone into this conversation and provide a little bit of a roadmap. As Shanti and I were speaking about it, um, because we were under the impression that Joel was leading us through the conversation. (laughs) And he was like, nah, y'all just talking to me and I'm going to answer. I was like, oh, say less. (laughs) So we were sitting there and we were like, wow, liberation and troubled times. How do you do that? Where do you start? I don't know if she or I have those answers, but we landed on four words. And the first one was rest. Second one was reflection. Third was rage. And the fourth was responsibility. So that's going to be our roadmap for this evening. And I am not one who is very good at rest. I'm still learning. And my beautiful best friend is teaching me every day. So she's going to lead us into that conversation. But, oh, first, you wanted me to ask Joel a question. Yeah, I think it's important. That we and, and I think it's something very good for all of us to ask ourselves. When we talk about liberation, I don't know if we all have the same definition of that. As I do my research and I learn myself more and I'm in more conversation and community, I realize that as a collective, we are so different in what these definitions and what this English language actually means. And so I, I'm a big fan of Esther Perel. (laughs) Shout out to you. If if you know who she is, you, you want the path now. But she asks us, um, how do you define freedom? And there's some questions that she has. And it's like, is it freedom from something? Is it freedom to something? Is it a sense of peace? Unrestrained flowing without boundaries or limits? An unalienable right to something? Or is it an outcome of when you get the thing that you've been fighting for? So I just want us, I want to invite us all to take a moment and reflect on what freedom actually is to us, what liberation in this moment, because it will vary, means to us. And Joel, 
I would love for you to answer that question. Uh, yeah, that's a, a beautiful question. I think um, when I think of freedom, I think of radical safety. Um, and I'm, I'm listening to you ask the question and in my head, it's like safety was the first thing that came to mind. But I think if I'm, so let me backtrack. So like there's a lot, there's privilege, right? We all have some level of privilege. Like every single person in this room has some level of privilege because there's something like us even being in this space is a privilege, right? There are folks who may not be able-bodied enough, might be immunocompromised, might not have access. And that's a different conversation. When I think about safety, it's very much like, how do we create safe spaces for people? And so radical safety for me is the next step. And it's like, I'll, I'll give you an example. So I, I host this like monthly conversation series at Milk and Pull and Bed-Stuy called Let's Get Free. It's a no RSVP needed. Folks come in, I talk to black and brown creators about their process, about liberation, love, whatever, what have you. And I had a sister challenge me like, this space is safe. How can we make it safer? And uh, a big part of that conversation was like, I had not mentioned like mass being a thing that were acquired in order to attend the event. And I had to respond to that and I had to check myself and hold myself accountable. Because again, as a person who's not immunocompromised, I get to kind of show up as as however. I wear my mask, but I'm not like telling people to also mask up. And so like that was negligent of me. And so safer space to me is also radical space. And to me, that is freedom because freedom then means people can come into the space knowing that they don't have to think about the prerequisites required in order to show up in the space. And that's any space. That's your bodega. That's your block. That's your living room, Right. And so for me, that's what freedom kind of comes down to. It's this idea of like, how do we take safety to the next level? Because there are so many of us who don't feel safe. Like we might not feel safe amongst our own people. And like, that's a bigger, broader conversation. And that's not just about physical safety. It's about emotional safety. Can you, do you have the capacity to hold space for what I'm sifting through, what I'm sitting with, what I'm dealing with, whether it's grief, whether it's rage, right? Um, and Safety means I can come as my full self and that be accepted. And acceptance doesn't mean agreement, right? Like I can accept you as you are and not agree with you. And that to me is safety. It means I can come as I am and you're not going to try to defend your positioning, but rather understand or at least try to understand where I'm coming from so that we both feel safe in this in, in this exchange, right? And so that to me is what freedom and what liberation feels like and looks like. Beautiful. Thank you. And so um, our arrangement of those words, rest, rage, reflection, and responsibility were intentional. And in this moment, um, we are hearing, we are demanding, we are wanting a ceasefire. And the, world's, the word cease is immediate. And how I've been engaging, um, how I've been auditing how I show up in this moment is very personal and it's very um, uh, mundane in a way in that what in my life am I compulsively doing that needs to stop? And I feel like all of us um, in our work life, in our relationships, in our allegiance to um, political parties, so much feels really compulsive. And we don't, I don't know how to stop in some ways. So this idea of rest 
for me, is always ridden with shame, guilt, um, inadequacy is very big for me because in some ways I'm, we are called to be productive, requires efficiency, organization, you know, follow through, terrible, terrible, terrible. And I feel inadequate and I feel it, it, it erodes my self-esteem. And so I can't disconnect that from people, regimes, governments, leaders not being able to stop. It's like, yo, we can't stop this. All my Game of Thrones, we can't break this wheel. Like, it's going. It's, there's no way. So I'm just curious around um, your what you think about stopping rest and how that is connected to resistance. Well, first of all, I love you, Shanti. Um, and you, well, Antoinette had said something earlier about like you kind of keeping her in check when it comes to like rest. And so tries to. <laughs> you're a hard, yeah, you you're a case study. Um <laughs> if you know Antoinette, boy, let me tell you. Um but so much of that is community. And it's like, you know, when I think about when I think about government, I think about checks and balances, which seems to be n not efficient at all. Like government is supposed to be set up where you have certain situations where people can be checked in order to create balance, right? And so I think community essentially works in that same way where it's like, oh, I see you doing more than maybe what is necessary or needed. And here's how we can essentially, uh, how, how we can finesse this conversation. But I think also too, so much of that is like the X to your point of what you're talking to, right? The excess. Um, capitalism is very much centered around excess. Capitalism cannot function without excess, without consumerism, right? We need to consume things. It's not just about buying. Capitalism is also a mind state, right? It's like, you know what I'm saying? It, it's, it's more, it's more, more, more of more. everything. I need more content. Yeah. I need more clothes. I need more friends. I need, and to a certain extent, like everything in moderation, right? In, 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 in our existence. But I think part of what the rest is, the rest is asking us to, you, you said, um, there's something you said that I, I really love the language you use, but like in a similar fashion, I say like take an inventory. It's like, I'm trying to take inventory of everything and inventory and like not in the commercial sense, but when I'm looking at the world around me, how is my imprint affecting the rest of the world? And if I'm thinking of this as a is an interconnected conversation that's happening between myself and other community members, then what that means is that my responsibility is bigger than, and it's more, and it's beyond and beyond me. Right. And so I think that, that in and of itself, if I can look at this as a, this is not just a me conversation, but this is a global communal conversation. Like the ask is not to rest just for myself. It's to rest for my community because I can't show up for others if I'm not, again, of course, taking care of myself, if I'm not filling up my cup. And so I also think we get to break down rest so it doesn't have to feel like this gargantuan um, task to take because then that becomes another thing that we have to do more of. Mm -hmm. And it's and so if we can just, it, it, for me, everything gets to be piecemeal. It's like if you can, it doesn't have to be the hour-long meditation. Maybe sometimes it's five minutes. Sometimes it's three minutes. How much time do you have and how much do you value your presence and your essence in order to take time, right? Because the thing is going to happen. 
what like the the, the hamster wheel is going to keep spinning whether you're on it or not. You know what I'm saying? Like it's going to some something else is going to get made. Somebody else is going to buy a thing. But if if I can at least do my part, which is important, the mundane to me is probably one of the most important things because the mon- mundane is the shit people don't see. Like the we don't post the mundane. You know what I'm saying? We don't post ourselves taking a nap on, on Instagram. We don't post rest because rest is not attractive. It's not sexy. But it's absolutely the most important thing we can do in order to ensure we can keep showing up for the work. Unless it's opulent. Unless you're on like some oh, but, Yeah, you know what I'm saying? The With the pose. Doing the thing. Yeah. This is meant to be an interactive conversation. So I'm just curious to know how many people in the room struggle with rest if you're comfortable raising your hand. How many of you are Capricorns is also a... <laughs> I knew she was going to do that. I mean, I when I hear you talk about that and that the hamster wheel is going to continue, if you're on it or not, I have never imagined for myself to get off the wheel. What I've imagined is the wheel keeps going, and if I don't go with the wheel, I'm getting trampled over. That's the visual that comes in my mind. And so Shanti always invites me to imagine something else for myself. (laughs) And um, that's a very hard thing to do when I started working when I was 12. I'm wired to produce. I'm wired to, um, to move the goalpost on myself and to be constantly, um, quote unquote, leveling up. And so that unlearning um, is very, very difficult for me um, specifically. So I just offer that if that resonates with anyone else. And to that point, like I keep thinking about um, <clears throat> Neil deGrasse Tyson was talking about like the Hubble tel- telescope in some conversation. And he was talking about how like 25 years ago what the Hubble telescope could capture is very different than what this new advanced technology allows us to capture now, but it doesn't make the 25 years ago capture from what we were able to see insignificant. And so part of that is like, when you talk about the, 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 the wiring, we also can deprogram ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Like, and the thing is, is like, I think about it and you know, when you break up and you be in a relationship and somebody will tell you like, as long as you've been, the time that you've been in a relationship is the time it's going to take you to like grieve over the thing. Yeah, like I don't necessarily think that's true, but if we're using that as an analogy, then I think we also get to say, oh, if I've been wired since 12 to do this, then I also have to give myself enough grace to recognize how much time it's going to take to deprogram myself from this, you know, especially if you're a black woman, right? Like if if we're not dealing with the intersections of what that looks like, it makes it a lot harder to also give ourselves grace in that conversation. For the folks who hear this, because this was me, and maybe somewhat... It's still me. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 that makes sense. But also, I got bills. Shit don't stop. Just because I need rest, it doesn't mean that my rent is not due. It doesn't mean that I get to miss this deadline. My life is not set up in a way where, you know, I can honor that. What do you say practically to those people? I say to to those folks to to take a step back, right, because you and I have had this conversation. And to ask yourself, where are you overproducing in spaces where other people can actually be taking the load? Right? Like you think about work, like, and I see, I see sisters do it all the time. Like, I'm gonna do it because nobody else is gonna do it. Well, then 
if we think about voting, right, and then this feels like I'm going to try to connect the dots here, but like we keep saying we have to show up because if we don't show up, it's going to crumble. Maybe it needs to crumble, right? Like you're at your workplace and you're like, man, I got to keep doing because if I don't do it, then like this is not going to happen. Well, maybe it needs not to happen because people need to, people need to be accountable and other people also need to be responsible. And so in a community, in a real community, the load is shared so that the bills are going to have to get paid. Like I hear people talk about this all the time, especially me as a native New Yorker. It's like New York is the hustle. Yes. I'm not going to argue that with you. And I'm also going to tell you that it just, it, it's, it's, it is more effort to find some level of peace, some level of equanimity, but it's not impossible. Nothing is impossible. Literally, nothing is impossible. Even if it feels like it is, like if I'm following the course and trajectory of history, nothing is impossible. And so much of the, the, the impossibility is steeped in white supremacist notions that we can't do what we can imagine, right? And so part of that work is being able to say, okay, I got bills to pay. How else can I show up for myself in the space, in the gaps between that bill being paid, the, the, the children being put to bed, all these other things? Where's my community? And that is hard. And so, again, community is a privilege. And I think it's a privilege we, we don't acknowledge. Some people don't have access to community in that way. But like you also have people like if you're wired to show up to work, it is very hard to imagine a world where you're like, oh, wait, maybe there is balance because some of us are also addicted to working because working keeps us from dealing with the other shit that we have not really focused on. Yeah, I'm not saying that you say I'm watching my But like we, if we, the same way, like I have, I love my Google calendar. So like everything is on my calendar. It is okay to put rest on your calendar. It doesn't matter what rest looks like. If you block out an hour, like motherfuckers are not checking your calendar at work for the most part. And if they are, you should talk to HR about that. But like the idea that you you block out an hour from like three to four, that is your time. Whatever that time is for you, it doesn't have to be work. But you get to be strategic about how you rest and how you show up for yourself as well. I I think that rest is the invitation for creativity, which is the invitation for possibility, which is the invitation for change. And to your point, and I love it's a Capricorn saying this, right? It's not a Pisces or somebody dreamy. It's like this is a hardworking, diligent Capricorn offering this. But it's it it's really hard spiritual work to stop because it demands a lot of empty space, just to your point, a lot of stuff comes up. And then you realize how compulsive and controlling you are with everything, especially when you're reaching for, when you're trying to be in an engagement with creativity, which is the mother of possibility, right? Because you're like, well, I, I need to create this thing and I need to feel inspired in this moment. And then you have to reckon with how insecure you are, how um, scared you are, how tight your body is. It's hard, hard work, but it has to happen because creativity is this is, is your God source. It'll speak to you when you don't even know it. It'll drop little gems. And then the possibility comes like, oh, 
this thing is possible. And then that drive, that work, that efficiency, that like willpower kicks in. And then it's not this unsustainable, empty um, hamster wheel. It's you're building something. It's like, oh, let's build for real. And I, I'm, I'm really trying to figure this out myself, but um, yeah. I mean, I don't want to be the person that's like, you know, in my book I said, but in my book I do. I coined this term um, Afro-normalism and, and Afro-normalism essentially in its essence is black people doing normal, basic, mundane shit. And the reason the term came up for me is because as a poet, I'm reading, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading Whitman and Yeats and like, you know, white folks write poems about tea and like all types of other random shit and trees and things that are beautiful. But like we tend to lean into our experience of trauma because that unfortunately seems to be what sells. But then also, too, it's we're speaking from real time experience because we don't feel like we have the space. And so. Part of that for me is like, it goes back to what you're talking to, Shanti, this notion of the spiritual work required in order to find ease. And like, we also just have to adopt it as a principle. You know, like what I've told myself is I'm not doing anything unless it's easy. Right. And that feels scary. But the more I did it, the more I realized like, oh, yeah, I can just say no to shit. And it took time because there were times when I was like, we keeping it a buck where like I was hustling and still eating ramen and like feeding my daughter ramen on the train because I did not have a job and I did not know where my next dollar was coming from. And I'm as a black man in America, that is the most humbling experience you can ever have to not know how you are going to take care of your family. And so what I had to think about though, is also going from thinking of my spirit guys, what I was being told was like, bruh, it's, you just got to be patient. And you have to work, but like the work is also, I'm, I'm not retired, but like the ease that I have in my life is unbelievably, like unbelievably beautiful. And it doesn't mean I don't work, but I've had to work to get to this place. And what happens sometimes is that the system will crumble us to the point that we don't get to the ease part, which is again, which is where community comes in, where it's like in those times when you need support, and it may not be financial, it might just be like, yo, I need a hug, or I need to talk to you about a thing, or there's some real shit going on in the world, let's be honest about it, right? And like that requires a level of safety, radical safety, and it also requires us to be, to, to hold space and to speak out loud the things that we want to manifest for ourselves, and then own that speaking when we share it. So moving on to um, being grounded in reflection, again, my personal um, engagement with what's happening out in the world is for me to be with myself. Um, you're talking about safety. What, in this political climate, we do not know what's going to happen in this coming election, right? We do not know what's going to continue to happen now that the Middle East feels like it is exploding in many ways. We are reckoning with uncertainty. Safety and uncertainty don't go together very well at all. So how do we deal with this uncertainty? Because again, it's like we want to control 
And I don't know if that's the answer, maybe, but what do you think? Well, I mean, I think that's a, I mean, you know, so I, I'm a Buddhist for, for all intents and purposes. And so um, non-attachment, as much as it, as it is a mindfulness practice, it's also the thing that I think that's given, has helped me stay grounded and has made me feel safe. This notion that I actually cannot control anything, which is scary. And having to live in that, not live in the fear, but recognize the fear as an energy that exists. And if I can just be cognizant of the thing and not attach any sort of um, outcome or expectation per se to that thing. And again, that's a practice, but I think it becomes easier to, to like show up because I think also to your point, Shanti, two things can be true at once. While they, while they live on extreme sides of each other, Every day, I'm not going to feel unsafe. Like, if I'm looking at this through my own personal lens, it is hard for me to open my phone and see a dead child. It happens damn near every day at this point since October 7th. And so part of what I have to reckon with is a prayer for, a prayer and acknowledgement, again, for my privilege in this space. You know, when I'm walking my dog and I'm thinking about the fact that I can look up at my skyline and not see bombs. And that fear, right, could can immobilize us. But I think... If I'm being empathetic, empathetic does, empathy does not mean stay frozen in my feeling. It means being active in the feeling that I'm sitting with, right? And so, and really that's actually compassion. Like empathy is the cognizance of, cognizance of the feeling and being like, I understand. Compassion is like, I understand now, what am I going to do with it? And so if I'm thinking of history, and again, if I'm thinking of this, not just about myself, because it can, we can very easily go into the space of like, listen, I'm going to take care of me and my own. And I get that. I'm not knocking anybody who decides to do that. But what I do think, though, is if we're leaning into that as the only way of being, again, nothing is guaranteed and nothing is promised. And so what I try to think about is the collective safety of the community. So like every single person, and again, when we think about non-attachment, it's this idea that I'm not attached to any outcome. And also, too, and you know, this is another conversation for another day, but as like a, a relationship anarchist, this idea that I have love for every single person in this room and that love and that feeling is not dependent on my relationship to you. I don't need to know you to love you. And so because of that, I need to be really protective of you in this space right now in this moment. And so for me, safety also then becomes the reckoning and understanding that it we can do everything we want in this world and it still might not end up the way that we want it to be. But if if I have any belief in history, then I have to know that there is a potential, there's potential for a way out. And that way out might not happen now. And that is also a very scary thing to deal with, but I don't, I'm not thinking about that. The non-attachment is telling me to show up for this present moment as it currently is. And right now I feel safe as fuck. So that's what I'm going to deal with. I'm going to deal with what's happening now while understanding that there's a future that lives outside of this now. But if I'm doing the work to be present, I will be prepared for what happens after. You know, if that makes sense. I think, I feel like the, I'm the little person that's just dragging behind y'all, trying to keep up. Um, the reflection for me, safety and security, that's my love language, baby. That's how I feel love. If you want me to know that you love me, you you are going to make me feel secure. Um, and that's rooted in all kinds of fear of abandonment. Duh, I know. But... I don't feel safe in the unknown, right? This is a real struggle for me, which is why I think I am so politically 
motivated and activated because I'm like, we got to jump in and control this and save it and do all these things because that feels safe. So the way that I am trying to reflect and offer myself a different possibility is to, you taught me this, is to be in my body and like feel how I feel at the end of the night, feel how I feel, like just take notice, have like a Du Bois double consciousness where I'm hovering over myself and I can see my shoulders tight. I can see my breath getting higher, right? We, on the last episode that we recorded, Shanti, we were looking at each other and she said, I'm worried about my breath. And she just said it out of nowhere. <laughs> but she's like, I'm worried about my breath. I said, well, let's stop. Let's, let's take a deep breath. Old me would have been like, that has nothing to do with the topic. Why are you doing this? Like, who cares about your breath? We have to get through this episode. And um, that's so unhealthy. Um, and I, I just, there was a time when I was very in my body, when I was more artistic, when I was dancing, when there was so much more space for that. And I've recognized how rigid and tight I've become and how that's impacted me in every aspect of my life. So that's my reflection on how the state of the world, the state of the union, the lack of humanity that breaks my heart every day impacts me. Right now, all I can do is take notice and just try to give myself ease and comfort and care. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, honestly. Sometimes you, I go to bed tight and got to take a muscle relaxant or got to have a piece of an edible to just chill the fuck out. And um, I'm no longer shaming myself for that. I mean, and, and you shouldn't because it's not your fault. And I think that's, and I think that's something I probably should have like stated before I started going on my long ass tangent and ramble. But the, I didn't feel like no, you no, were, no. Yeah. But like the, the the notion of like none of this is none of this is our fault. You know what I'm saying? Like we throw around words like white supremacy and capitalism, but like those things are actually the reasons why we feel tired, we feel drained. Like, you, you, and so what I do a lot on social media is to try to give folks context, right? Like, because what context allows you to do is also offer yourself more grace and compassion for how fucked up the world is and how it really isn't your fault. Like, we were kind of brought into this. And now we're also being asked with dismantling it. A system that is was not made for us, a constitution that was not written for us at all that we're still functioning under or trying to function under as best as possible. And that's hard as shit. And so I, and it's a lot harder if you don't have community. Okay. Where's the accountability then, right? Like, because again, you know, um, reflecting on what's happening in Gaza, right? Israel being this manifestation of defensiveness, insecurity, vengeance, right? I got that shit in me too. We all got that shit in us. So we're, I am, I'm not, I'm not, I do embody white supremacy. I do embody so many of these things. I'm, I'm not just, you know, a puppet in so many ways. So like, how do you also be accountable Number one, aware that like, oh shit, I'm, 
I'm doing the same thing. The fact that Israel's doing what Germany did to the Jewish is just like poetic and awful and also just a beautiful offering to us all to be like, wow, we are, we can become the thing. I am this thing. I got this in me too. Um, That's brilliant. And thank you for bringing that up. Um, I think about love a lot. I talk about love on my platform and I feel like for those who, some folks may follow me, some folks may not. I, I don't even like the idea of follow. That feels weird to me. But if you've been on my platform, if you've been on the page before, I, I before October 7th, I was talking a lot about love and healing. And I think it's easy to hear those things and think about therapy speak and think about romantic relationships and like self-love. And really what I'm talking about is love as a political way to get free. Because what Shanti is talking to is the idea, like you're watching a bunch of privileged motherfuckers who are running around, who didn't have therapy, who didn't have love, who are not healed, who are showing up in ways that are harmful because they're not considerate of other human beings. It's very simple. But like, and then we, what we'll do is we'll say big bad person and then not think about the way we treat the barista, not think about the ways we treat our cousins, not think about the ways we treat our children, our pets, ourselves like it's all connected it is every the the way you treat the houseless person like i'll give you an example it is very when you get on the train think about the first thing you think about when you see a houseless person spread out on the seats like you don't have to tell me what you but like think about what you're thinking about you're probably tired you're like i need a seat why are they taking up all this space and you're probably the fifth thought is probably this person does not have a home this person doesn't have a family, potentially. Their family might be looking for this person. Yeah. Don't know where they are. And our first thought, though, is our comfort. Israel's not worried about the comfort of Palestinians. What makes us different? And so that is harsh, but it's also the ways in which we get free. Like, if we're talking about liberation, liberation is not this beautiful practice that you see in essence. Liberation is nasty, it is violent, it is hard, and it is also beautiful when we get to the other side of it. The other side of it, though, is real fucking work. And it's not just therapy. It's taking the thing that I'm hearing and putting it in practice in every single day with the people I interact with, the coworker I don't like. You know, like this, this, this is God speak. It's not. It's not. Just, it's not thing. It's not just rhetoric on a paper. This is how people are governing their lives and communities. Because then, if I, if I can give you five hundred thousand dollars and tell you, hey, by the way, I just want you to support Israel. It doesn't matter how many times you phone bank, and that's a very scary thought. But if you're a person who has enough integrity to say five hundred thousand does not matter to me, right? That is a that is a practice. And it takes a person with integrity to be able to show up for that practice. But that is a practice that starts here, right? And so, so much of the, like, when Shanti's talking to this, like, big bad idea of a colonial state, we're watching it in real time. But we also have to ask ourselves how we show up that essentially aligns with these colonial conditions that we continue to, 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 to subject ourselves to. So we like to say duality is a thing. Um, at Around the Way Curls. And as Joelle talks about love, I want to talk a little bit about rage. And I had the honor and privilege of going to Philly. Shout out to Philly 215. Um, to go to Philly to uh, see uh, an author, Cole Arthur Riley. 
She is such an inspiration to me. And she has a new book out. And so she was in conversation with Brittany Cooper, who wrote Eloquent Rage. And, you know, they're both, of course, referencing Audre Lorde, you know, the uses of anger, all these things. But Cole got to some things when she was talking about her rage. And she, she of course, sees rage, especially a black woman's rage, as sacred. This sacred rage. And it's not something that we should shy away from, even though we are told and conditioned to do that. And so... She said, it's not my anger that launches bombs. Now, contrary to what they think, the angry black woman, we're ruining the world, right? We are dangerous. We are the people at work giving people problems. There's no space for us. But she said, it's not my anger that launches bombs, starts chemical warfare, and will inevitably be the cause for our own annihilation. That's not our rage that's doing that. And so... She said, our rage serves as a compass for our liberation. When we are angry, we are clear that something is wrong here and that we are being oppressed or someone is being oppressed. And our, that's why our rage is sacred because it is deeply connected to our humanity. And then, <laughs> I, love, I love her. She said, um, when we talk about whiteness, I believe that it, it is threatened by any anger that it receives because it knows how its own anger has impacted the world. Then she says, the powers that be that uphold systems of oppression teach us to be civil members of society. They offer and demand this civility when in actuality what they want is our complacency and our complicity. And she said that allows their conscious not to be implicated in their crimes. And when she said that, I was like, oh, I, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks because I feel entitled to my rage when I want to protect Shanti. I feel entitled to my rage when I want to protect Nana, when I want to protect Tracy, when I want to protect Joel, TJ, Temp. I'm ready to fucking go. You can ask Shanti. Anybody is, fuck with is, her? I'm she ready. She, she ready. Security <laughs> is my love language. I don't play that. But when I am oppressed, when I am harmed, I have to take the nice road. I have to be mindful of, of how I come across. I, I shy away from it. And you I, don't even feel like you're worthy of it. No, like, not even yeah, worthy of it. I judge yourself. myself yeah. for even being enraged. Why am I giving this person this power? That's what we're taught. Why am I giving this, these people, this system power over me? You just have to rise above it. How the fuck do I rise above? Excuse my French. Here it's coming out. See, how do I rise above it when your foot is planted on my neck? Get off me. Can I say that? Can you hear it? And so um, I want to know, like, we know what white rage does. We all know that. I want to know, and I don't only want to know from Joelle, if somebody wants to speak, I want to know what black rage does. 
I also want to know from you, so you can talk. <laughs> He's like, well, let me be quiet. But that microphone works, and you can click the little button on if you want. Okay. You coming? All right. I think one of the things that I've seen that's beautiful when I look at a lot of black women, you were talking about rest earlier. I'm thinking about the nap ministry. Mm -hmm. And I feel like more people need to be reading more black women because the rage is being channeled into a lot of that awakening mm -hmm. and realizing that we need to step back. And I think it's a, it's a very radical way of thinking because mm -hmm. rage for so many people translates to violence. Yes. And we are somehow translating that rage into just reimagining, mm -hmm. resting, mm -hmm. and being in community. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a lot beauty in us kind of channeling that rage in a new way and then teaching others that their rage can be something that's not just violence. Yes. Yes. That was beautiful. That's an invitation for me. Definitely. You are fucked up. Well, <laughs> isn't that like... Um, I, I also, you know, um, Grace Lee Boggs and um, James Lee Boggs they don't call riots riots, they call riots revolutions. And I think that's important context because not for nothing, right? If we think about the American Revolution, you know what I'm saying? Motherfuckers throwing cats over over a boat over over taxes, right? And and like that gets that gets celebrated. There's a there's a level of anger, of white anger that is celebrated, that's tolerated. Um, we see it in media, we see it in entertainment. You know, like you could think of any of your favorite action movies. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I think about so much of the propaganda we were raised on, like Missing in Action, Rambo. It's like the big muscular ass white dude going over to these foreign territories, right? And instigate or like they're not instigating the war, they're ending it mm. with brute force. And we leave the movie theater like, yeah, Rambo, Viet Cong, boo. Mm. Um, and so I think some of the <laughs> rage can be violent, but not violent in the sense of we are harming other people, but what, what are the things we need to dismantle? You know, and like, what are the systems we need, we need to dismantle? Um, and like the sister said, like, I think even this idea of rest as resistance is a dismantling of a system and that, that will feel inherently violent to an oppressive state. Right, if it lives against an oppressive state's ideology, which essentially is centering oppressing other people in order to benefit, right? Which is how capitalism works. You need folks here, and you need folks here, and that is the only way the system continues to function. And so, for me, that rage, um, so much of our art has been channeled through rage, um, beautiful pieces of art. And so, I think black rage has many touch points, and I think. For me, what I've come to understand is if we allow space for all these things to live and coexist, again, that is also liberation. Like liberation is also the idea that I don't need to withhold parts of myself in order to appease a person or a populace or a system. Freedom means, again, that I get to show up with my anger, with my rage, with my joy, with my eroticism, with my with whatever the case might be, and it be held um, as opposed to um, pushed away. Does anybody else have anything they'd like to share on rage? I see someone standing up, but I don't know if you just want to use the bathroom. Okay. Come on through, brother. 
turn the turn the mic on. Yeah, Mike check one two. Mike check one. Um, so I think a huge component of rage, I'm thinking for most of us, or all of us, is a constant state of PTSD. I also think that having that unresolved feeling that travels with you day to day doesn't take much to make you go from one side of the line to the other side of the line. Um, I think that's something that I feel that all of us should feel comfortable with identifying within within ourselves. And I also feel like this is something that is not really talked about as much. Not even so for people who experience overt trauma, but also people who experience microaggressions that build up from day to day, year to year, decade to decade, until you're well into your 40s. So I think that's something that people should be aware of to have a positive way to release and have an outlet, which you can't start to head that direction unless you identify that's what's happening. That's what I'm saying. Thank you. Um, yes, I, I, I should be clear that the rage is, is sacred, but it it's not meant to swallow us up. I think that we can hold space for it. And as Audre Lorde would teach, we can channel it. We can hone it and, and see what we discover from it and help it guide us. So that is a delicate dance, um, but a very powerful tool, one that I don't want to shy away from anymore. And I love that for you. And real quick, I, I think, because what you said is really important. I think folks need to also remember we're not always going to get that right, that delicate mm -hmm. dance. Like, there's going to be times when it's going to be, it might be out of control, whatever, and that's subjective, whatever out of control might feel like for you. But it, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record. But when we have community and we feel safe, what we can recognize is that that thing that might be out of control or might feel like, a way that we generally don't show up gets to be held because we've created a sense we've created a sense of understanding like yo like this rage is normal it is natural and i don't have to judge you for it i can hold i can also hold you accountable kind of to shanti's point like again it's it's the duality right it's the multiplicity of it all it's like yo you can still say white supremacy and patriarchy and colonialism and also say I need to hold myself accountable across the board with those things. I can blame Whitey for all the shit and also recognize like, yo, am I not recycling or am I not composting? And am I taking, am I making the extra effort to do the thing even in spite of, you know, it's in, I learned in improv, like in, in, in improv, it's real like, it's a lot of and yes. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a lot of like a scene, a thing is happening, and in order to to continue the momentum and flow of the scene, it's not oh, I want to do what I want to do. If you want to learn anything about community, join a theater troupe. Like theater has been was the fundamental grounding point for me to understand how an ensemble and community works because nothing functions without the other person. Not it's not like film. Theater teaches you similar to sports, but I think less violent. 
you know, you don't have to worry about CTE, no offense. But like the idea that theater says, yo, I got you, you got me. No one person is above the fracas. And so we we don't necessarily operate like that all the time. But if I have community, that means I can be angry, I can be sad, I can be vulnerable, I can be soft, I can be masculine, feminine in between. And people be like, oh, cool, I got you. Or like, I don't disagree with that, but I got you. You know, it's it's that that dance. It, it, we don't have to get it right all the time if we are loving ourselves and loving each other. You, it's, it's as if you know where we're going. <laughs> it, it's just a beautiful thing. Now we've hit responsibility. And Mr. Joel has just been talking about community all night, child. And I want to read something that you wrote. The only way out of this nightmare is community. I know, child, I was on your page. Um, <laughs> not politicians, not constituents, not activists. Ooh. Us, together, collectively. What does that say? I wrote it wrong. Our, <laughs> our only hope for liberation <laughs> is each other. Child. Community, community, community. Joel, what is community? This. Like we, if the pandemic taught me anything, it's how much we need each other and how much we undervalue like this. It's like, no, I'll, I'll come outside another day or girl, I don't know. I'm just tired and I get it. Like I get it. I got two kids and so, and a dog, so technically three. Um, I can say that because I have kids, so. Um, cause people, you know, parents would be like, parents be like, you don't understand. Uh, listen, I got a dog and that nigga is a child. Fight me. I'm just saying, I got an eight year old and a three year old. Okay. Um, kids. Um, but the idea that like community is nourishment, like it feeds us, it is sustenance and we take it for granted so often. Like, you know, for me, community has been the reason why I've been able to write a book. It's been the reason why I get to do this with these two beautiful humans. It's the reason why, like, I don't know, like I write things and people share it, which I don't, um, I don't take for granted. It's like, it's an opportunity. It's a privilege to be able to sit amongst other people who you might agree with, who you might not agree with and, and, and sit in love and solidarity. And solidarity, again, does not mean agreement all the time. Solidarity means that we may disagree, but I got you. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't have to agree on everything, but what we can agree on is us getting out of this motherfucker together. And however we get out of there, you might want to shoot your way out. You might want to protest your way out. You might want to vote your way out. You might want to do all those things. That thing gets to be fluid. And like, that's been my biggest, biggest ask for us is to be fluid in how we show up in and for community because community is amorphous. It changes. The ways I thought about community are very different than the ways I thought about community when I was like six or seven. I'm 41 now. The way I think about community is very much grounded in communication, dialogue, sharing, whether it's an idea or a meal or a project, collaborating on something. That to me is, that is community. I can go to you for a thing. Like whether it is a conversation, whether it is a dollar, knowing that it's also going to be reciprocal and I'm not showing up in order to get the thing back, but knowing that that thing will be returned to me in however ways God sees fit. 
And that to me is empowering that I can just show up in a space and be like, you know what? I don't even know if folks got me, but I'm going to show up as myself. And hopefully that's going to be an invitation for other people to feel like they can do the same. And so much of community is not about me. It's not about the individual. And so much of how we've been taught to show up, especially because of capitalism, is me, 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 me. Like you're taught it like my daughter, West. West is going to be four. And West, I, I, it's like a case study for me. You watch children. I didn't teach West me like mine. Like where do you learn that? Where do you learn that this thing is mine? This, you know, like, and, and it's the things that I think about because for me, community is so, it's less about mine and out, and it's more about ours. It's like, we are sharing this, this world we're sharing. We're doing it right now. We all had to walk to the same place to get upstairs here. If this building falls apart, God willing, it will not. But like, if the stairs crumble, we need to figure out a way to save each other. Cause if one person decides they're going to be the hero, we all falter. And this is why, like, in, 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 um, in the quote Antoinette read, it's like, I'm not worried about, like, we throw around these labels of activists and political leaders and, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, every president has been a war criminal. I don't care who it is. I love Obama and also, right? You know what I'm saying? So it's like we, you know, you, you, you listen to Michelle Obama talk about people not wanting to vote. And it's like, how far removed are we from the reality of the lack of community that is, that, that is happening right now? Cause if we had real community, then folks would actually understand that the implications here are dire. And it makes sense why people feel disillusioned, disenfranchised because shit is real and community points that out to you. Community holds a mirror up to you and goes like, do you see this shit? Do you see what the fuck? Because I'm seeing it right now. And then we can we can have a dialogue about it. But community, again, comes back to feeling safe enough to be able to do that. And in order to do that, I need to be thinking about more than just myself. I heard someone say, how do you create community? How, I, I don't want to answer that, but you can. Um, it's the thing that we, we struggle with the most, I think, which is vulnerability. Like... And it's been a practice of mine. Like, I need to be willing to be the person in the room that's like, hey, this is me. With all my tenderness, softness, blackness, masculinity, whatever, like call whatever you want, call me whatever you want, but this is who I am. And it took years for me to get to that point. But part of the practice is being able to say, I can reveal myself so you can do that too. That is my work, that is my purpose, that is what I'm here for. And so I don't, I'm not asking everybody to do that, but what I'm encouraging us to do is like, what, like, take off your cool a little bit. Like, what does it mean to really show up in a room as yourself and, and in the fear of knowing people might reject you anyway? That's love. Like, you can't, like, listen, teach not how I will tell you no mud, no lotus. You cannot get the thing that you want without having to endure some level of pain in the process. Pain is inevitable. Stop trying to avoid it. It is going to happen to you consistently. What will also happen to you is joy, love, liberation, all the other things, but you got to lean in first. And if you're not leaning in, don't expect to get the things that you're asking for. Something that Shanti always says to me, it's just information. You're collecting information. I am someone, I'm a I ain't reform yet, but I'm a, trying to be a reform people pleaser. And so I tend to walk into spaces and present as I see they want me to be, right? I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm very good at p- picking up on clues, reading the room, being like, oh, 
this is how I fit into this space. There's some spaces I'm absolutely myself. This is why this these two people are sacred folks in my world because I don't have to do that. Now, and, and I also think there's there's something about anyway, it ain't about me. I, I do that a thing, that thing. And I'm learning that the rejection of it all is just information. She was like, girl, if you're rejected, then that's not your people. So next. And I said, what? They don't have to want me? And that doesn't mean that like I'm not good or I'm not enough. Why? And, and she's like, you forcing this square into this circle talking about you you want to feel seen girl what you doing and so that has been illuminating for me and has brought me into friendships into spaces where I'm like oh this is what that soft bed feels like damn that feels good oh my god my shoulders go down oh my god I could wear a bikini Shit like that, real. And it's like, I can't describe how liberating that is. I can't describe what a lifeline it is. It's more than, it's like breath. It's like air. Um, I, I struggled during the pandemic deeply, quietly, but I struggled. And now I just feel so connected to so many people, whether it's listeners, whether it's, it's whoever. And um, yeah, I encourage that. It's so scary. It's so scary. But if you can do it, if you can be courageous in that way to show up and offer yourself and be the embodiment of like love and who you are and who God intended you to be and, and navigate that way, it's very difficult for you not to find your people. That's my answer there. And and really quickly, for folks who may be like thinking like, how do I take the mask off? Like, what does that process look like? And it's something I asked a really good friend of mine. It's like, who are you if you are not blank? She gets really real, right? Like, who am I if I'm not a partner, right? If I'm not a wife? All these labels, all these things that mean nothing, they mean nothing. And that's no offense to the labels that we, that, that, that we assign ourselves, but the idea that what really matters is the energy we put into the labels. Like I can call myself a writer, but if I haven't written a book, if I'm not writing essays, if I'm not sharing my work, then what am I actually? You understand? And it doesn't, like what is the energy I'm putting into the thing? And so like, who am I if I'm not blank? Who am I if I'm not a Zionist? What you're seeing is people responding to a question, right? What you're seeing in defense of someone's identity is violence. So what happens. It, it, when you, you're not a man, what? I'm going to show you what I actually am because that is my identity. That is the thing that, I've des that I desired, that I've told myself is the totality of my existence. Who are you if, who are you if you're not black? Who are if you're not a black man? Who are you? Who am I if I'm not a father? I've had to think about these things. Not because I'm trying to like become a holier than thou individual, but if I want to get free, then I also need to remove myself from all the things that I feel bound to. 
that's what freedom is. It's like I'm not I'm un, not unhinged, but I'm not I'm not tied. I can recognize non-attachment. I can recognize the thing as a thing and not be attached to it. And that is a process. It's, it doesn't happen overnight. It is day to day, every single day. And some days I fail, some days I win. But, you know. I want to talk about one last thing within responsibility. Um, I know we're moving away from titles, but when you are put in a position right, where you are looked at as an activist, looked at as someone with some sort of platform, some sort of influence, um, there is pressure to maintain that, right? There is pressure from within as well to be like, I have to be engaged. I have to be activated. I have to post. I have to research so that Everybody on the pod, everybody listening knows what's going on, has information, right? That takes a toll, right? You got to sustain the soul that serves. We know that. But I see you, and this is me being loving, right? I see you, and I, I reached out to you and said, hey, there, I just want to make sure there's space for this too, right? And I know that you make it. But I see the frustration that you have with folks and their their lives just keep going around. And it's almost as if they're tapped out. And I was someone who was very judgmental of that. You're, you need to be talking about this thing because it is dire, it is important. And these people, these human beings, capital B-E, are being slaughtered, right? And injustice anywhere, you know, is a threat to justice everywhere. Got it. And it wasn't until I had a friend who was like, wow, your ego is wild. And I was like, my ego? You the one running around posting sneakers. You crazy? And they were like, yeah, yeah, but you just made so many assumptions around who I am, what I do in my life what prayers I'm sending out and what I have capacity for. Who do you think you are? And that is a difficult one for me. Still, I'm getting better. But what is the responsibility within the community to tell the stories, to tell them accurately? Because Lord knows the misinformation is real. What is the responsibility to make sure that we are saying ceasefire now? What is the responsibility to make sure that we're talking about Sudan, Congo, Yemen, all the, everywhere? What is the responsibility? And um, what can we ask of each other? What can we demand of each other? Is it anything at all? You know, it's a really important question. I'm thinking about like your, your friend's response to that. And... I don't know the brother, and this is not a judgment on anybody's character at all. But social media is a very interesting place because on one hand, right, you have folks who don't post at all. You might be that person. You might post like once once a month, which is fine. Like you, do, you don't have to show up on social media. Then you have people who post pretty frequently. And my question to the dude is, if you're doing all the things that you're saying you're doing, 
if you're posting sneakers, let's say every other day, that is going to lead me to believe that that is the thing that is most important to you. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that assumption. That if you're choosing to showcase a thing, that's the thing that you're thinking about. Maybe, and, and granted, this is also a distinction between if you're like, let's say, an influencer or whatever. And I get that because folks want to protect their brand. I think the question, it's the existential question I have to think to myself, which is, if the world ends, your brand does not exist. <laughs> the world ends, your brand doesn't exist. There's nobody to buy the shit that you're selling. There's no business to work with. And it doesn't mean that you don't still do the thing, but people pivot all the time. Dick Gregory is a perfect example of that. A man that was at the top of his career and it was like, oh, wow, there's injustice happening. Not everyone needs to be Dick Gregory and decide to go on a hunger strike or to run across America in order to like support and celebrate blackness. But the idea is I need you to at least be curious about how you're showing up for a cause. And it doesn't mean you change your mind, but I think I need, I need, it's a need because we are not going to get free in a silo. And we reap the benefits of the privilege of the work and yet don't want to say anything about the work required. And that to me is a problem. You can't, like, you can't benefit from the system and then not, and then not stand up in arms when the system is causing harm to others who are also your customers or your consumers or potential consumers, if that's the way that makes you feel comfortable about saying something. I would challenge that that's not rooted in ego. I think actually you're showing up in love. That is rage. That is anger. And if a person really cares about you, would see that and not be defensive about it. Now, granted, it's a bigger conversation about ego. Absolutely. But I think what we tend to do is call a person out when we feel challenged about a thing we're not doing. Should have had you want to call, child. <laughs> Hold like, on, let me call you out real quick. Like, let me circle back real quick. It's like identity. It's like, yo, you talking about me. Like, you know, dog, like, you know what I'm saying? What did they say about the dogs that holler or whatever? Dog yeah, you hit holler. a dog, you beat a dog, whatever. Like, you know, he's saying it because you feel the type of way, which is fine. But I need you to be honest about that. Because if you are praying, then tell me what you're praying about. I want to know. Maybe I can say the prayer with you, brother. Like... If, you're, if, if it's about the sneakers, then are your sneakers donating to a cause? There's so many ways to take the things that we're working on and sending them through something that is going to be supportive of community. And it doesn't have to be extravagant. It doesn't at all. And you don't need to show that on social media. No one's asking you to do that. But what I do think, though, if... if I, last thing. If you... <laughs> I'm trying to think. Like, if you... That there's a party... Motherfuckers are throwing a big ass party and they're like, yo, we are all going to dress. This is 90s fashion. Everyone is dressing up in 90s fashion. And you know that there's a party happening and you are being told that it is 90s fashion dressed appropriately. And you show up to the party dressed in like black goth and you're like, yo, but I don't understand. Why? What's the problem? It's like, motherfucker, you're showing up to the party in the wrong way. Like that's not what people are asking you to do. You're showing, you could have stayed home. You could have stayed home and not participated. But you're showing up on a platform where people are saying there is a dire need for a thing. And you can't say anything. Anything. Like the amount of times I've said a thing, one thing, and someone has been like, yo, Joel, you said something and it made me think about this in a different way. I will take that any day for the rest of my life. Because that one person is talking to somebody else. And, and the reason we're not seeing that is because we're too stuck on the individual and this idea that we're not in community with each other. Yeah. The reason I'm so fucking loud is because I don't know how else to be anything else but who I am. 
I'm not showing up as an influence. I'm showing up as a human being who cares about the yeah. like the world. I'm gonna fuck about like no, like take what 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 is Meta gonna do to me? Like I'm a free black man. Like you can't like I'm if you're not you gonna take away my Instagram, I'm just gonna move the Substack. You're gonna take away my Substack, I'm gonna show up at Milk and Pole. If not that, we're gonna come to the crib and we're gonna talk. Like we, we need to be able to find ways to mobilize that are not centered around how other people view our showing up. You know, like that's the work. You want to get free, then let's get free. But don't give me the other shit of like, well, you don't know what I'm doing. I know what you're doing. Because I, I, like, let's, don't be obtuse. I know what you're not doing. <laughs> I'm seeing it. And again, it's, it's not a judgment. It's a call to action. Because at the end of the day, when this world ends, what do you have? Shanti, do you have anything else? Because I have a call to action from Joelle. No, I don't. No, I'm just. I love you. <laughs> no, I don't. Call to action, y'all. I tried to get Shanti to give us an around away affirmation, and she said, "So we'll, we'll use this one." <laughs> this is a gentle call to everyone in this room, and this is written by this gentleman here. Everyone has a purpose and utility in a movement. Everyone from the people who are protesting to the people who are holding space for those who are protesting to the making of art for the protest, each and every individual has some stake in the movement towards liberation. Ashe. Ashe. Does anyone have anything they'd like to share, ask, offer? We ain't just talking heads. We in community. And the mic is on. If not, we don't need to force it. But I just want to make sure folks know that that's available to them. And while you're deliberating about coming up, thank you, because I love you both so thank much. You. And um, yeah, I, I just want to remind folks two things. Like while you're debating about whether or not you're going to come up here. I personally think the most loving thing the Black Panther Party ever did was create the Free Breakfast Program. It was also the most radical thing that they did. We think about the Black Berets. We think about them storming the Capitol. Yes, important. But like that, that is the thing. That is love in, in in its purest form. I love my people so much that I'm going to create a thing that serves them. And so that's one. And then two... When we think about, if we're thinking about the freedom rides, if we're thinking about the the work that happened behind the scenes, if we're thinking about Rustin, if we're thinking about Medgar Evers, if we're thinking about these individuals who were just leading a cause and a moment and a movement, you also have to think about the folks that showed up in the church, right, where, where, where Martin was preaching, who were supporting the work. That is important. That is utility. There were folks who were making food for folks who were protesting. There were folks that were supporting bail funds for folks that were protesting, right? Like... Please do not think that the effort is insignificant. People need to rest. People created homes that were safe havens for protesters. This is work. This is work. If you think about South African apartheid, apartheid didn't end in South Africa until like 1992. The movement originally started in 1948. The boycott movement started in like the 1980s. Like this is not, this is work. And so when we get tired, we rest because we need to rest. But this is work. Liberation is not cute. And I want us to stop thinking that it is because we're being sold to we're being sold this idea in a book as a theory. It is not a theory until it's a theory until we put it into practice. 
And this is the call to action. We have to put shit into practice with each other and ourselves first. And then we can start talking about how we get ourselves in the in systems and all this other shit. But we're not free here yet. You know? And so we show up and we oppress other people. We oppress our friends. We oppress our partners. And it's like, man, listen, if y'all, you can't be playing with freedom, man. If you want to get freedom, do the work. You know? I love you. We're car- we're recording this for our podcast, so please get up. <laughs> Temp needs that audio from that mic to feed into that camera. <laughs> or I could have brought it to you, my bad girl, but I know you, so okay. Good evening, uh, Joelle. You said something earlier about how you don't do anything that isn't easy. Can you, what, what, what does that mean? What does easy mean? How did you get there? Can I get a map? Okay. <laughs> some breadcrumbs, you know, give me, the, give me the juice. I love dealing in examples. So I'll give you an example. Brittany, shout out to Brittany, our, the program, programming manager here who, who helped put all this together. Because I like being, in, I like transparency. Brittany reached out to me and was like, we, we should do something here. And I was like, yes, I love Babylon. I love the twins. I'm down. Antoinette and I had had a conversation maybe a couple of weeks prior to, in like brief conversation, like we'd love to have you back on the show. And I was like, yes, I love Shanti. I tell this to Antoinette all the time, by the way. <laughs> um, and then in my head, I was like, okay, so wait, how would you feel, Brittany, if we did like a live thing? Just threw it out there. And I was like, they're great. They have a great following. I reached out to Antoinette immediately. Like, listen, I'm side. Like in the same conversation, that to me is ease. It is... What feels in flow? What feels the most comfortable and safest for me and other individuals in the process? Like, I wouldn't do this if I didn't like who I was doing it with. Granted, that is a privilege, and I've had to work to get to the privilege because I've, I've, I've eaten crow for a while where, like, I'd be like, yes, I don't care what it is. I'll do whatever you need me to do because I just need to be on. And there's nothing wrong with that because it's a process involved in that. And again, I'm 41, but like the roadmap was, and it was give and take. There were some things that I was like, I'm going to say yes to. It may not be my, it might be a little difficult. It's not my favorite thing, but I feel like there's an end point. Like there's an end point to it. And it was mixed with the other things that I knew I really wanted to do and said yes to. But I said yes. And I said no, there was a balance. And now I don't say yes to anything unless I want to do it, you know? But again, that's a privilege. And it's like you have to, again, no mud, no lotus. We have to go through that process. No one is exempt from that. Even the richest person that you can think of, and granted, not putting them on a pedestal, but this idea that they too have their own journey of mud, whatever that mud looks like for them. It might feel like bullshit to us, but it's their mud. Bill Ackman, for as much as a fucking dirt bag he is, and I hope he burns in hell. <laughs> Because he's a dickhead. And it's like, bro, I mean, you're a mad white man who like got called out. Your parents didn't love you, whatever the case might be. But he has mud. His, this is his mud right now. Like he's trying to defend his wife by all means necessary. And really he's trying to defend white supremacy. But anyway, it's like there's mud. And we have to get through the mud to get to the, like the whatever that thing is. So, But ease to me is the comfort of being able to say yes to anything that pleases me. And if it doesn't please me, I say no to it. And, I'm, and I get to be transparent knowing that 
my transparency and my love is not contingent on someone's response to it. Either you're going to like it or not, but I know I'm, if I'm being honest with myself, then it doesn't matter. Anyone else? Come on. Come on, lady. I really, really love this experience with you three. So thank you. And everyone here as well. Um, so I haven't said this out loud as much, but there's a very catchy phrase that doesn't sit with me well, although I know that it's used in jest often. But it's when folks say, um, I'm God's favorite. And it's only because there's a discomfort that arises when I think of folks creating a hierarchy out of God's grace. Same. And I think about all of the unique privileges that we have in this room and how they are not afforded to others. So does that mean that they are God's least favorite? So for all of you three, I'm wondering, how do you make peace with having gratitude for the one-of-a-kind blessings you have while also having space for those one-of-a-kind blessings that are absent in the lives of so many? <laughs> I mean, so we we talked about this in the last podcast. Um, I I didn't really identify myself as a relationship anarchist at the time, but I definitely do now. And so a relationship anarchist essentially sees the world in a non-hierarchical fashion. Like there are no hierarchies for me. And so when I hear God's favorite, favorite, I also cringe because it's the same way like you're watching a football game if you're, if, you're, if you're inclined to do so, right? Fourth quarter, three seconds left, both sides of the field are praying, right? Like which God is going to win this, right? Like who's, who's the most subservient? Is that, the, is that what we're, we're... And so I think we're all God's favorite if we're thinking of this as like a higher being. And so for me, the, the nine, the, what I have to recognize is that my grace... And my privilege and also my luck. We don't talk about luck a lot because luck tends to take away. It feels like it takes away from my promise. I wasn't born in Palestine. And you can take that however you want to take it. But the idea is that there's luck involved in that. Because if I'm thinking that it's not luck and I'm thinking I've been chosen, then what does that say about the other people who haven't been? And if I'm thinking about this as a community, then what I have to recognize that we are all God's children, whether it's a he, she, they, or them, whatever the case might be. And if I'm honoring that conversation, then what I have to recognize is that some shit is the luck of the draw. And that is a very scary thing to think about because it also feels like it takes away from my specialness. But what I will say, and this is maybe tied to it or not, but like there's an essay I'm working on that's like exclusivity is not special. Um, to a certain extent. And um, I think about libraries a lot. Like libraries are the most accessible spaces in the world. They're also the most special, I think, personally. And they're not exclusive. They're inclusive. It's like anyone can come here. 
And that to me is a favoring. Like that's what God's favorite means to me. It means that everyone is favored. Everyone has access to the same godly energy. And some shit, unfortunately, means it doesn't work out for everybody. Like when I think about like there was a Bronx burning, there was like a building that burned, um, I think last year, and like seventeen, like seventeen people lost their lives. You know, I, I don't want to hear. I don't want to go through the conversation about like what was meant to be will be. No. There was a little boy who left a space heater on. People died. But he didn't, it was not his fault. It's because there was no heat in the building. Like that is a man-made catastrophe. That is not that is not a God's no. Like things happen. Bad things happen sometimes. And that is a scary thing to think about, but I also think it's the reality. And it also is how love works. Because things happen sometimes that we don't like. And you and in order to get free, I think we also need to become okay with that. Um, I say this all the time. You took it out of your book. Um, none of this matters and all of this matters so much at the same time. So I cannot wrap my head around why, to your point, why I'm having this experience and somebody else is having this other experience. It's so great. The past the future, the present is all happening at this one time. And my ego wants to like diminish or, you know, do this humiliation, uh, humble thing, not humiliation thing, or like, because I deserve thing, because I'm special. Fuck that. None of it matters, but also it matters so much. And so I've just been sitting with, especially in the winter time, taking showers and just feeling so grateful that I'm warm getting in my bed I'm like oh my god this is incredible seeing my daughter blossom into this beautiful creature that she is and just eating it up and trying to be impersonal about it in a way but like really experiencing it looking at myself and being like damn you look good you have these incredible relationships with these people and just gobbling it up but also not making it about me or this other person at the same time, which is really hard, but yeah, I just kind of have this energy of like, <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I have, um, survivor's guilt with a lot of things. I struggle with it. Um, I struggle with abundance I struggle with doing nice things for myself because somebody else doesn't have it. Um, but I'm, I go back to this and I, every time I struggle with that, I, I post it and it's helpful for me. It might be helpful for someone else. I'm washing my face before bed while a country is on fire. It feels dumb to wash my face and dumb not to. It has never been this way, and it has always been this way. Someone has always clinked a cocktail glass in one hemisphere as someone loses a home in another, while someone falls in love in the same apartment building where someone grieves the fact that they oh shit, where someone grieves. <laughs> the fact that suffering and beauty coincide with 
what is so unbearable in this world is remarkable. It is. It's fantastic. Yeah. <sighs> Life, man. I'm just brought back to our relationships are the thing that can get me out of it. Love. And it's, someone asked me if love was hard. And I sat back and thought, well, it's work, but is it hard? And I said, I hope not. No, it's not hard. It's not hard to see the God in someone else. It's not hard to feel the sun on my skin. It's not hard to wake up and feel that breath and offer it to someone else. It's not hard to smile and say good morning. That's love. We complicate it. You make a lot of money by complicating it. And then you put that on the internet and it goes crazy. But just being in it, living in it, that's how I make sense of it. Because what's wild to me, there's so much humanity in Gaza right now. So much. These people love each other. These people are rallying. These people are being killed. These people are being slaughtered. Remarkable feels like the wrong word, but I don't know what else it is. And that duality is one that I will probably forever struggle with making sense of. But love is what will bring me back when, I, when I'm lost. You, you said something, and that was so beautiful, Antoinette. Um, Christmas was coming around, and my brother was like, yo, what do we get the girls? He asked me this twice. The he first said, what did we get the no, girls? No, no, no. He's like... <laughs> He's asking I got me. the girls. <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like, what do we get the girls? Like, what, what, what should we like? What, like, like, what should we get the girls? And <laughs> what? Who? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was struggling with it, and so I sent him a text like, "Yo, bro, like, hey, we had already been talking. The girls have so much stuff. Like, you hear Shanti talk, like, consume, consume, consume. They have so many toys." So many, so many, so many skews, combination. And so, you know, this, this idea of consumption and I was like, yo, bro, like, I mean, if you want to get them something, get them some shoes, but we don't really need to get them anything. Like they have enough as is. And honestly, with what's happening with Gaza and what's happening to Palestinians, we don't really feel comfortable with the holiday. And my brother said something that I thought was important. He was like, you don't have to feel, you shouldn't feel discomfort around that. And I sent him a voice note and I was like, well, I actually think I should. And I think the discomfort is telling us something. You know, so like when I, when I and I think about that when I'm here, you talk about the hard and, 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 this, and this idea of like when we think about love, it's on discomfort in the body is a signal. So our nervous system saying something is off. And that is actually your, that's your heart. Your heart being like, there's some shit happening that I need to be paying attention to. And the paying attention doesn't mean we have to be consumed by, by it. Like some people show up for movements different than others. I don't always throw myself into things, but I'm also, I just follow spirit. 
And spirit called me to be like, nah, bro, this is like, this is the work for you. Like, how do you give people language for what they don't understand or what they don't understand how to put language to? But there's that discomfort was a signal to me. And that signal I then chose to activate against. And what we do so often is feel the discomfort and we, we, we close ourselves off. My practice has been to open because, again, that is how we get free and that's how we get everybody else free. And the, only way we, and the only way we open up is through love. Love is the vehicle. And not just romantic love. Romantic love is cool. I'm down for it. Find your boo. Yes. I'm talking about love that is political, that is dismantling systems. Again, think free breakfast program. That is love. It's love. That's what love does. Love would make Medgar ever say, like, I'm going to leave my family and my home and I'm going to get on these freedom rides. Love made Dick Gregory go, I love comedy, but I love my people more. And I got to I got to do what I need to do. That is love in action. You know, so. All right. We've reached that time. Thank you all so much for being in community with us. Thank you. Yes. Before we go, though, if we can. I want to, you don't have to, but I want to invite us all to take a collective breath, take it in, and then audibly let it out. Okay? All right. On the count of three. One, two, three. Ashe. Thank you. Thank you, Babylon. Thank you, Babylon. Joel, Shanti, everybody. Thank you. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You have just heard an Around the Way Curls John. Follow them on Twitter at ATW Curls and Instagram at Around the Way Curls. We out early. <laughs> Very good.